All right. Well, it's great to be back here. Uh, my wife Erica and I are so happy to be joining you again. And for those of you that are uh, here for the first time and uh, don't remember me from last week, I guess I did enough, uh, you know, did a good enough job. So you guys um, invited me back. Um, Pastor Rick did not send me a nasty gram or anything from Mexico or wherever he's at, gallivanting around the world. Um, love you, brother. Um, Um, I'm Brian Bethke. I'm a pastor um, uh, for the, at the Anglican Diocese in New England, which is right down the road, the headquarters. We have churches all over the place. And uh, I'm what they call the canon missioner. Uh, we like our titles um, as Anglicans. All that means is I'm the lead missionary for the, for the diocese, and I get to work with church planters, pastors, and all Protestant denominations, and, um, and just get to see the kingdom manifested in every place and space in New England and beyond. So... It is exciting to be here, um, and I have a, a Baptist background, um, I can tell you a little bit about that later, so I consider myself a Baplican, so that's why you get the preaching you get. So, one of the things about New England, that, you know, I'm from Southern California, so weather's excellent there, for the most part. Not trying to rub it in, but we, ha- we, we, love, we love New England, we love the seasons, and actually there's something to that, but... Um, you know, going to the beach in the middle of the winter is pretty cool, too. But um, here in New England, what I notice is that I never see any motorcycles. And then when summer hits, motorcycles just come out of nowhere. It's like an army of motorcycles of Harley riders just appear out of nowhere. And, and I don't know if you guys have ever ridden a motorcycle. I don't know if you know how to ride a motorcycle. I mean, you've seen motorcycles. But I have a motorcycle license. Um, when I was 22 years old, I was stationed in 29 Palms, California, which is a big desert by Joshua Tree National Park, and I had this great idea. The great idea was, why don't I go and buy a motorcycle? I don't know how to ride a motorcycle, but I want one. And I'm this young Marine, and so I, I take one of my buddies with me, and I say, let's go buy a motorcycle, and I go to this guy's house, and he has this motorcycle for sale, and I don't know how to ride it, so I ask my buddy to test it out for me, and he test drives it, he's like, you sure you don't want to ride it? I don't, I'm like, I don't know how to ride it. And so we, we take the motorcycle back to his house after I buy it, and he's trying to explain to me how you ride a motorcycle, and, and you know, the gas is right here, and I go, and I crank the gas up, and I just fly outside of, of his, his driveway, and I crash, and it's just crazy, and he's, okay, let's, let's put this on the center stand, and we'll, we'll start, like, with training wheels here, and so I learned how to, to, to ride a motorcycle, and when I started to ride a motorcycle, um, it was this interesting feeling. I felt like I, I, I existed in this very thin space between absolute freedom and exhilaration and absolute intensity on the verge of terror. And I can remember when that really came to my mind is there was this abandoned road and I was on my way back home from work and no cops are around. It's the middle of the desert and I just opened this thing up. Of course, 22 years old, what are you going to do with a brand new motorcycle? And I just opened it up. I'm hit 100, 105. This thing's shaking. And then I realized, and I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then I realized if like one rock, like if I blow my tire, like I'm done. Like Done. And so it was then I realized that there's this thin space as you ride on this motorcycle of exhilaration, freedom, and just absolute terror. And life in the kingdom of God is very much like that. It's like riding a motorcycle. And, and as 
As people that have come to faith in Christ, we exist in this thin space where heaven and and earth overlap. You see, we exist in the physical world. We can see this world. We can feel this world. There's rules. There's a system to this world. And we're citizens of, of Haverhill, of Massachusetts. But we're, more importantly, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom is something tangible. It's here. It actually exists. And it's this overlapping thing. When Jesus came from heaven, he brought heaven. He brought the kingdom down with him. Yet we are so attuned, if we can't see it and feel it, we feel like it doesn't exist. But we are more of a, a citizen of heaven than we are a citizen of Massachusetts and the United States and of this world. And so we exist in this thin space between heaven and earth. And as we come closer to the time of Jesus' return, Jesus will manifest his kingdom fully at that point. But as we walk with him, he is, he is recreating this, 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 this creation and making it in accordance to his kingdom. And, 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 and as he does that, Jesus challenges our assumptions about this life and gives us these impossible commands that require total faith in him. Total faith in him. And the title of this message is Writing on the Thin Space. And we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 14, 13 through 21. So Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 21. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. You'll see it pop up on the screen. But if you want to, go ahead and turn to Matthew 14, 13 through 21. And let me give you a little bit of context to Matthew uh, 14. So Jesus has begun his earthly ministry, and, and he's walking, he's with his disciples, he's called his disciples, and then we get to this point where he starts to use these parables to describe what the kingdom is like. And he says, the kingdom's like a mustard seed. This, this, the smallest seed in the ancient day was the mustard seed, and it's, it's this small seed, and you plant it, and, and it grows into this, this big kind of plant, this big bush where trees could go on. So the kingdom of God is very expansive. He also says it's, it's like bread. It's like, it's like leaven and bread. As you work the dough, all of a sudden the dough gets bigger and bigger because you're working the leaven in there. And he says it's very intense like that. The kingdom is very intense. He says it's like a pearl of, of the most value. You find the kingdom of heaven and you sell everything for it. It's, it's, it's the most important thing in your life. The kingdom of heaven is more important than what you could actually see. He says it's also like weeds and, and nets that catch fish. This idea in which, um, in which there, there are weeds that grow, grow amongst it that, that, that will, will be pulled and then thrown into the furnace and, and this net with all these different fishes and, and, and the fishermen are going to take the good fish and cast out the bad fish. And it's to, to say that the kingdom is about God's judgment, which brings about justice. And we seek justice. And on the other side of the justice piece is, is peace. It's shalom. It's restored relationships, restored systems. And he says, so the kingdom of heaven is like that. And then we get this shift in Matthew where we get this story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who who says Jesus is the Messiah that we've waited for. We get this story of John the Baptist who embodied the kingdom of heaven, beheaded. He's beheaded by, by, by Herod. So that's kind of strange that it sits there. So we got this idea of what the kingdom is and this intense persecution of John and then we end up and this portion, where we're going to go over this morning in Matthew. So Jesus, up to this point, has explained the kingdom, and now will challenge the disciples and us by demonstrating the kingdom. And today what I want to do is I want to look at three ways 
that Jesus challenges us to embrace life in this thin space, the overlap between heaven and earth, and embody a kingdom reality. So let me pray and ask God to bless us. Heavenly Father, we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Holy Spirit, we say, come, speak to us, reveal to us your truth, expose our hearts to the light of Christ so that we could bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that Jesus challenges us on on this thin space of life is Jesus reorients our posture towards others. He reorients our posture towards others. You see, the kingdom is attractive to those who are in need. It's first and foremost attractive to, to those who are in need. We read in 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, heard this meaning John the Baptist being beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But the crowds heard it. They followed him on foot from the towns. So Jesus goes and he says, listen, i got to get away. He's on a boat and he goes to this very desolate place. And we're going to talk to you a little bit more about desolate places. But he goes to this desolate place where nothing is at. And this crowd of people follow him. Now let's just think about this. Jesus is this obscure rabbi. He's this obscure, he's a weirdo. And these people follow him out in the middle of nowhere. So what does this tell you about these people? That these people are desperate. There's something attractive about Jesus. There's something attractive about what he's saying. And there are people that are in need. And so they follow him out to the middle of nowhere. We see that, first and foremost, the kingdom of God is, is marked with this compassion. We read in verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, how big is this great crowd? This great crowd, it says at the end of, of this, this, this portion of scripture, was 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So biblical scholars will say it's roughly probably about 10,000 to 20,000 people. So 10,000 to 20,000 people follow Jesus in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus goes and he sees this great crowd, and it says he had compassion on them. In Mark's account, he says he has compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is affected by this group, this, 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 this crowd, this great crowd. And he has compassion. It means he's affected deeply by his inner being. He sees the pain. He sees the pain and, and he sees people like the Father sees people. He sees people made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And, and, and he, he, he sees people as the Father loves people. It flows from the Father's heart that that the Father first loves us before we could ever love him. And we see that the kingdom of God moves toward brokenness. Now, I don't know about you, but if 10,000 to 20,000 people were following me when I was trying to get away to just get some alone time, I'd be freaking out. I mean, I don't even like it when a couple people come up to me. And I'm like, I just need my alone space. And I'm an extrovert. I love people, but there comes a time. I just have a limit. And I'm like, and you know, especially when you're like, oh, they're going to want something. Like, I'm like, okay, how do I get out of here as fast as possible? Like, that's, I'm just saying, like, do, do, like, you can amen that too. I know this is a Baptist church, so we just, we do amens, right? Okay, amen that. I'm going to virtually amen, I hear you. Um, what does Jesus do? Well, it says that Jesus moves towards them and healed their sick. 
Luke says, he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. He said, this is what my kingdom is like. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God and then cured those who had need of healing. He cured them. He moved towards them. He didn't go away. He moved towards them. And he brings healing and he brings the good news of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I was learning to ride a motorcycle... One of the things that I was really surprised about was when you make a turn in a motorcycle, you really have to look that direction and lean into the turn. You have to, if you want to make a right, you got to lean to the, you got to turn to the right, lean your body to the right, and you make that turn. You can't be like in a car where you're just like, you know, fiddling around with whatever and just kind of doing, you know, drinking your coffee. You really have to go for it. You have to be committed. And the fact is, is when we embrace the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we must lean into the need that God has placed all around us. But we, 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 we normally don't do this, right? Let's face it, like, we normally don't do this. Why? Like, what's going on in our heart? Let's just, let's just get straight here. Let's just, let's just throw it all out. We feel overwhelmed. I mean, that's one thing. We feel overwhelmed because there's so much need. And there's no way that we could, we could, we could meet all of that need. And then there's going to be a level of commitment. There's going to be a level of, of expectation that's put upon us. And that makes us even more like we already have enough um, things that we have to do in our lives. There's also this fear. Like, I don't know what to do. So, what are we called to do? Because the fact is, is we do have limits. Even Jesus in his earthly ministry had limits. Let's face it, we're not going to meet all the need of those that, that, that are around us. We're not going to you know, feed every homeless person. We're not going to um, be the best neighbors and hit, you know, have relationships and bless all of our neighbors um, all the time. We're not going to be able to be there for our families 24-7, even though we would like to. And we're also not going to be able to address the needs of those that we now find on social media, you know, now that we've kind of been hunkered down and social media is even, I think, more of a social outlet for us, we're not going to be able to meet the needs that we see there. But we can have compassion. We can have compassion. And the fact is, is in God's economy, the mustard seeds that we plant with compassion and by faith for the glory of God, for the sake of the other, are more expansive than we could possibly imagine. That means these little things that you do actually matter. Even though you might not see it, they matter to people. Just think about it in your own life. When you're in your, when you're just like thinking, you're just totally in, like in, in contemplating life, think about the ordinary everyday things someone has done for you that has blessed you tremendously and it was like a mustard seed that just exploded in your life. Think about those people, those acts of kindness, those acts of compassion. They matter to God. So how do we do this? Well, we bless people. We bless people. We, we, we give them words of encouragement. We tell them the things of the kingdom of God. We give them the good news in word and deed. It might just be connecting with the unconnected. It might just saying hello to someone, showing them com- compassion. It might be praying for them. You know, prayer is powerful. Jesus went and he healed people. And 
God has placed these people around our lives and we could pray for them and we could invoke the name of Jesus for healing in their lives. The Holy Spirit is alive. That stuff happens. So we could do that. We could eat with people. Eating is huge. And you say, well, I can't gather with people because of COVID. Well, you know what? You could meet someone online on Zoom. You know how many Zoom um, times where I've just like had a cup of coffee with people on Zoom? It's actually pretty cool. You go, you have coffee, you chill out, you talk. It's not exactly what we'd want, but it's better than nothing. Or let's go to a park and let's walk around and just have maybe, I don't know, drink something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just consuming something with another person because when people eat, they tend to open up. They feel comfortable. And there you have relationship. And so we're called to do something like that. Or how about we just listen to one another? We are, a, we are a society that does not listen to, to each other. What would it be like to encounter someone that doesn't hold the same political or religion, religious beliefs as you do and just listen to them? Listen to them with the eyes that the Father sees people, that Jesus sees people as someone cr- created in the Imago Dei and not try to fix them. Just listen to them. And as you listen to them, you pray for them. Pray to the Holy Spirit that he would give you wisdom to engage them with compassion. Those things matter. So the question I have for you is, who is God prompting you to move towards in compassion and with the healing power of the kingdom? Because if you're there, he wants you to manifest his kingdom there. He wants you to manifest his kingdom there. So that's the first thing. The second thing Jesus challenges us on is in this thin space of life is Jesus commands us to engage life with a kingdom lens. You see, the kingdom is hidden and it requires faith. It requires new eyes. It requires us to see things differently. Verse 15 says, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. What does this, des- this word desolate place mean? This word desolate place in the Greek means this is an uninhabited and uncultivated area. It means it's a wasteland. There's nothing here. And it says, and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and to buy food for themselves. Now I have to stop here. I want you to understand how absolutely out of line the disciples are right now. The disciples have a rabbinic relationship with Jesus. Jesus is their teacher. And they're giving their teacher a command. You don't do that in this culture. I I get beat up at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I have a professor. And I don't give him commands because he's my teacher. He tells me what I do. And so I do it in the confines of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Um, learning. And this is the relationship they have. You don't give a command to your professor. You don't give a command to your rabbi. And they give him a command. He says, send him away. This is a desolate place. And and we might look at this and go, well, yeah, maybe they're out of line, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, there's 10,000 to 20,000 people and it's getting dark. And, and so, you know, they might be out of line, but is there some truth there? And so we read, He says, send them into the villages to go buy food for themselves. This is the disciples telling telling Jesus. So there's no food. It's getting dark. There's 10 to 20,000 people. They give Jesus the command. So how does Jesus respond? It says, but Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. 
He gives them a command. He retorts with giving them a command. He says, you give them something to eat. He gives them an impossible command. You give them something to eat. So what do they do? All right. They say, they said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. So in another account, it says they start counting their money. They're like, okay, how much money we got? You see, there's still, Jesus gives them this impossible command, this command that requires faith, this command that requires supernatural, um, you know, something supernatural to happen, something that requires, um, that, that is only possible in embracing the kingdom. And they try to fix it using the same assumptions that they have about the earth now. And they're like, okay, we only have, we only have five loaves and two fishes. How's this going to work? Hey, how much money we got? And Jesus is like, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. See, the Bible is full of impossible commands like this. And so what, what does Jesus do? Verse 18 says, And he said to them, Bring them here to me. So they bring the fishes and the loaves to him. And we look at this and we laugh at the disciples. Come on, guys. This is Jesus. He's already did some miracles. You've seen some things. Why are you trying to, to, to solve a problem with using old assumptions and an old paradigm? But don't, isn't that what we do in our lives? We easily fall into the same thing because we live in a world that says if you can't see it, it doesn't matter. We live in, in this, this, you know, this, this idea in which if you can't physically test it, if you can't feel it, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. But the kingdom of God is hidden. And it does exist. And sometimes we have things in our lives that require God to super, supernaturally come in. We live in a time right now where we need God to supernaturally intervene. And there's times where we try to, to count our, our fishes and our loaves. And we try to fix these things. And it's like, no, we need to manifest the kingdom. We need to pray. We need to ask God to just come down and do these things and, and increase our faith in these things. We see that the kingdom is, is manifested mostly and truly in desolate places, in these uncultivated areas, in these uninhabited areas of our lives. Verse 19 said, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, sometimes we, we, when we look at Scripture, we go and we say, this is what, you know, this is in Scripture, therefore it's truth. And that's absolutely true. But you also have to think when you look at Scripture, what's not in Scripture? And why is it not there? Why doesn't it explicitly say this? Because this account of the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four gospel accounts. And that's actually something big. Because you don't have all the same stories in all of the gospels, but this one you do. But what's not in here? What's not in here is the details. Like, what actually happened? Like, I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, did he take the five, you know, the five loaves and the fishes, and all of a sudden it was like, like what, like, what happened? Like, did it just explode and fish are flopping everywhere? Like, what's going on here? Because, but it doesn't say that. It actually leaves it blank in all four accounts. Why? Why? I think 
that we do not see explicit things in scriptures because God is calling us to have this biblical imagination, to engage life with a kingdom lens, to increase our faith in this, because we understand that it happened. We know it happened. And so he leaves the details out and we say, yes, that happened, amen, we know it happened. What, how that all transpired, it really doesn't matter because it happened. Now, when you're on a motorcycle, you see things differently than in a car because you're so low to the ground and, 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 and as you ride on the road, you could, you could see, you look for things differently, you see cars differently, you, see, you actually see like um, rocks and stuff on the ground. You're, you're able to see things differently and you feel the road. You actually could feel the road. And so you experience things differently because you're seeing things differently. And for us, to the extent that we are willing to believe Jesus is who he says he is, and the kingdom is as present as he claims it is, will will we be able to see as he sees? One of my my favorite pastors, Charles Spurgeon, you know I had to throw a Spurgeon quote, I'm in a Baptist church. He says, if all my senses were to contradict God, I would deny every one of them and sooner believe myself to be out of my right mind than believe that God could lie. Why, why do, we, why do we, we, we not see things with the kingdom lens? Well, some of, sometimes we see it, but we have this paralysis by analysis. Should I engage in this? Does God want, God want me to engage in this? Why? Because, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we um, engage things with the kingdom lens? It's a, it's a matter of listening to the Spirit. And that's a little touchy-feely for us, for many of us. And so how do I listen to the Spirit? It's, it's I pray. I pray to God and I listen for Him. And, and it, it is a matter of feeling. Yes, feeling is involved, a matter of the affections. God stokes the affections. But, but, but how do we know it's just not my good idea? Well, another aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is God's word. And so we confirm our feelings in God's word. And if those things align, we know he wants us to, to step into that. And so we pray and we listen and we delve into the scriptures. And, 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 and we go and we, we, we participate where the spirit is already working in and around us. And so then we see things with the kingdom lens. But why do we not do that? Because first off, we have a paralysis by analysis. We sit there and we say, okay, I, I feel this, uh, this thing, like God's prompted me to do this, but does he really want me to do this? I don't know. And then we start to think about the reasons why we can't do it. You know, it's going to take some of my time up. There's resources involved. Well, what is my spouse going to think? Well, you know, I already have this. And so we just don't do it. And, we kind of, we, we, and you feel guilty about it. You feel guilty. The other thing is we theologize our way out of it. We sit there and we say, you know what, this is just feeling and, you know, this is too weird, this is too charismatic for me. I don't think the spirit works like this. And that's not true. So we theologize our way out of it. Or we have this sense of scarcity. Well, I, you know, 
God only has so much capacity and so much time that he really wants me to do things or, or power that he wants to manifest or, or, or whatever. But we have this sense in which um, God doesn't care about this and he really doesn't have time and he really doesn't, he's worried about other things. That's not true. And then we have cultural things that sometimes squelch the spirit on this. You know, one of the things I learned in New England, I've lived in New England for three years and I've been married to a New Englander for over 11 years, um, is, is New Englanders look at life differently. Like literally, like New England is like a unique cultural, con- I've been all around the world. New England is the most unique context I've ever been in my life. So number one, New England, way to go. Like good. But here's the thing, here's what I noticed about New Englanders. In Southern California, if I don't see you for a while, I just stop by your house. I knock on the door. How you doing? If I, if, I haven't, if I feel like I need to contact you, I'll just call you. I'll just go over your house. No big deal. It's, not, it's non-offensive. But if you talk to a New Englander, generally, this is a general statement. This not, might not be you. New Englanders will say, I'm just leaving them alone. Well, why? Because I'm just giving them their space. I'm just giving them their space. That's the best thing. And it's actually out of a good heart. You want people to kind of like deal with their thing. And you don't want to intrude in their lives. But you see that if you embrace a kingdom lens, it's actually a call to intrude people's lives. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time listening to the Holy Spirit. Spend some time listening to the Holy Spirit. It's nothing cuckoo. It's actually biblical Christianity. So that's the second thing. The final thing Jesus challenges us on in the thin space of life is Jesus reminds us that true satisfaction is in him alone. We just sang that. He's better than anything. Better than anything. And the fact is, is the kingdom is so valuable because of the king. And there's no kingdom without Jesus. You see, everyone wants to set up their own kingdom. Sometimes we want to set up our own personal kingdom. We, we see people in politics, in organizations, wherever, that want to set up their own kingdom. And they want the kingdom, but they want the kingdom without the king. And the kingdom is not the kingdom without Jesus. And we read that in verse 20. They go and they, they eat the bread. And it says verse 20, they ate and they were satisfied. You see, there is no true soul-satisfying satisfaction without Jesus. You see, a lot of the results of our unhappiness, our sin, is this lack of satisfaction and joy in Christ. It's not because we have a behavior problem, it's because we have a joy problem, because we have a satisfaction problem. And the only way that's going to actually be fulfilled is by being fulfilled, truly satisfied in Jesus Christ. You see, just as God provided the manna for the children of Israel as Moses led them out of, out of the desert and he provided the manna and fed them with the heavenly bread in the wilderness. Christ here meets the immediate needs of the people, but he also meets their ultimate need as, as the bread of heaven who fulfills eternally. And that's the goodness of the gospel. The gospel says that, that God created this world And it was good. Not only was it good, it was very good. But we sinned. And there was this separation between us and God. And God deserved to to, to punish us for this. And maybe you're sitting there, you're like, I didn't do anything. Yeah, actually you did. 
And you do. You know your heart. We're capable of it. And God deserved to punish us, punish us, but he doesn't leave us in that sense. Instead, he sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, who steps out of heaven, who has, who has had an eternal relationship with, 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 the, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity has been in this uni- union forever. And the, the, the son steps out, down from heaven and li- lives a, a perfect and righteous life. And then he's nailed to a cross. And when he's on that cross, you know, is it the physical pain? Absolutely it's the physical pain. But it's also the first time that the, the, the sinless son, the bread of heaven, feels the weight of sin, our sin, your sin, my sin. And it's the first time that he feels the wrath of the father being poured upon him because of that sin. And he dies. But three days later, he is resurrected. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we too are resurrected. And actually, his righteousness is given to us. The Father sees us with the righteousness of Christ. And we're a new creation. We're a new creation, a new humanity in Christ. And the gospel is nothing less than that, but it's more than that. Because Christ is coming back and he is co-creating. He is recreating all things, every place and space where you're at. And he's called you to manifest that, to, to participate in that as he recreates that. And he'll, he'll make that finally be a reality, finally come to completion, consummate that when he returns physically. That's the gospel. And it's good news. And so the question is, is why do we need to get this idea of ultimate satisfaction in Jesus right? Like, why do we need to get it right? Like, Jesus is a savior, but why do I need to be satisfied in him? As I mentioned before, riding a motorcycle is fun, but it's super risky. Super risky. And life in the thin space is risky. I mean, Jesus has just gotten done talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the one who actually manifested, who participated in the kingdom of God, he, 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 he walked in that. And what happened to him? He was beheaded. And friends, we live in a post-Christian context. New England is post-Christian. People look at us and they say, been there, done that. Been there, done that. We don't have... The, 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 the quote-unquote space in the, in the public square. We don't have, you know, this, the church is no longer the center of, of life here. Which I think actually gives us a more of a prophetic voice. But nonetheless, it's post-Christian. We have COVID-19 going on. Gosh, you want to talk about the enemy using something. You know, God breathed life into us. He breathes the Holy Spirit into us as we, 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 we put our faith and trust in Jesus. He actually formed us from the dust by breathing life into us. The, the God's word is God breathed. And what does COVID do? It attacks the very breath in us. And, then, and the enemy uses that to discourage us. And now there's these heavy conversations about, about politics as we get closer. I mean, it's just nasty. And about race. And it's nasty. And it can be discouraging. And it's risky to be a Christian right now. We need to be satisfied in Christ because, because the likelihood of, of persecution 
on different levels is a reality. You know, Jesus promises us a few things, and one of the things he promises us is if we actually are walking in step with the Spirit and manifesting the kingdom, we're going we're gonna to experience a level of persecution. And so we have to have our satisfaction where our joy comes right. So we're not shaken as this foundation of this world is being shaken. And we are given promises in Scripture. Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Nope. Or distress? Nope. Or persecution? Nope. Or famine? Nope. Or nakedness? Nope. Nor danger? Nope. No sword? Absolutely not. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we say amen. That is a reality, folks. Nothing can separate us from Jesus. He is our ultimate satisfaction. And in order to have hope, we must be ultimately satisfied, which requires ultimate faith in the limitless Christ. So let me conclude here. This time tomorrow, I'd like to finish with this time tomorrow, because we don't just leave what we're talking about in here in the church. This time tomorrow, you're going to be at work. You're going to be wherever you're at, doing whatever you do with the people that you do it with. You'll be at the grocery store. You'll be at the mail, you know, wherever. I don't know what you do. I'm sure you do some really cool things. But you're going to be there. And God wants you there. And what does he want you to do there? How does he want you to manifest the kingdom there? And as I close, I want to pray for this. I'm going to, I might throw you a little curveball, Pastor Mike. Is that all right? Can you come up and, and just kind of, I like a little music here, and I'm asking Pastor Mike to come up here and just give us a little music right now, strum the guitar, because I want us to pray together, and I want this to be like a psalm. We're playing, and we're praying. So I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Mike and Cheryl to come up here and just play something. I don't care what it is, and we're just going to pray together. So let's, let's quiet our hearts. And if you're at home, I pray that, I, I, I ask that you do the same thing. You just quiet your hearts with us. Father, we come to you. We thank you that we could gather here. We thank you that we could gather here virtually and in person to proclaim the goodness of your son, Jesus. You are our rock, Lord Jesus. You are our savior. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us wisdom and courage. And right now, I just want to lift those up in need. So I'm going to ask you, who are those people in your life that are in those desolate places. What desolate places God called you to? Who are those in need? I want you to think of those faces. Maybe you don't even know their name. Just hold them in your mind and your heart. I want you to picture just bringing them before the throne of God.
I want you to think about those places in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's your workspace. Maybe it's the grocery store. Maybe it's a park. Maybe it's your house. Those desolate places that are uninhabited by God, that are uncultivated for the gospel. And I just want you to, to think about those. What does God want you to do there? What is he asking you to do? How are, is he asking you to bless that place? Lord, we pray for courage. Courage to not, to, 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 to be paralyzed, not to theologize our way out of something, not to have a scarcity mentality, even to go against the very culture we've been raised in to, 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 to pursue what you're calling us to do. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And so we invoke these things by the power of your name. We pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that that is a statement. That is a reality. Because we want you to be glorified in all things. So we pray this and we ask this. In Jesus' name. Amen.